We're back. This is your co-host, Beef Jones. And on this episode of Mining Diamonds, we sit at the table with urban revitalization strategist and real estate developer, the one, the only, Majora Carter. After witnessing the effects of generations of neglect in her hometown community of the South Bronx, Majora sought to address these issues head on. With little more than grit and persistence, she was determined to show the brains, beauty, and brawn that already existed in the Bronx, and the residents did not have to measure success by how far away from the Bronx they were. This echoes Majora herself, quoted in the Smithsonian Institute with her words, you don't have to move out of your neighborhood to live in a better one. How about we work on home ownership, and literally ownership for folks here? How about we do that? And just over the past like 20 years or so within the South Bronx in particular, in my neighborhood, you know, our um, home ownership rate has gone from, I think it was like in the 20s, 20% down to less than seven mm. because of predatory speculation. Because, there, because again, there's been a push forward, like, let's create more affordable housing, you know, for really, for very, very poor folks. But we're not going to create like opportunities for economic diversity because the thing is like all of us want our kids to do really well. And we'll like, you know, encourage the kind of brain drain. As a matter of fact, we're expected to measure success by how far we get away from our communities. And we create programs that allow that to happen as if it's meant to be. But what does that mean for the community that's left behind? Majora is a MacArthur Fellow, Peabody Award-winning broadcaster, tech economy pioneer, and her Greening the Ghetto TED Talk was one of the first to launch the lecture series to the world. To say Majora has accomplished a lot in her career is an understatement but her accomplishments haven't been without hurdles and controversies. In this episode, we uncover some of Majora's greatest challenges and lessons learned as a social entrepreneur committed to revitalizing and transforming low-status communities into thriving, mixed-use local economies, those that are often left out of historical financial tide changes. By partnering with community members and the NYC Parks Department, she was able to secure more than $1.5 million in grant funding to transform an illegal garbage dump into Hunts Point Riverside Park, the first of its kind in the South Bronx. Under Majora's leadership, the nation's first urban green-collar job training and placement systems were created, which changed the national discourse on the relationship between environmental quality and economic development. We are honored to have her sit at the table. This is Mining Diamonds. What's up? We're back. This is, uh, my name is Jim Jones, actually, if you don't know. Um, this is a podcast called Mining Diamonds. Uh, my co-host here, would you like to tell them your names? Nope. Your names? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we can skip, we can skip names. <laughs> we can skip the names. Um, no, I'm Nakia Booth. I'm Beef Jones. Yes. Um, and I'm Jim Jones again. We have a special guest here. Majora Carter. Yes, very, very, very special lady. Um, this show, we pretty much cover everything from financial literacy to teaching people or our people uh, a new definition of what generational wealth is. Um, and businesses and everything in between is not your average podcast or what you think you might see. You probably won't see your famous rapper on here um, if he's not good at business. That's <laughs> all I want to tell you. Um, with that being said, let's get into today's math. You know, today is a great episode. I think we'll frame it as self-gentrification. And with setting up the wonderful woman that I have to my right, 
and all her accolades and everything she's already done in the community. I think it's very important that we have this discussion because this, this whole podcast is really just discussion. It's about kind of framing business and entrepreneurship in a way where we're ha- we'll be able to have these conversations easier. You know, they should roll off the tongue. It, it shouldn't be uh, taboo. It shouldn't be like I have to have certain level of education to start talking mm-hmm. about this. We have to have a natural discourse when it comes to talking about business and generational wealth and how to create it, how to keep it. And yes. how to pass it on, right? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of time, a lot of things happens when it comes to business. A lot of us don't value the worth of our business. Like if I'm selling socks and I can make a million dollars, I really don't consider that a business conversation because I'm just selling socks on the street. But in actuality, you're doing very good at that business at mm-hmm. selling socks on the street. Probably way better than most businesses when it comes to selling socks independently. So, but we don't value at that as oh, I should be in a business conversation because. We get our money off the floor. So what do you think people are valuing if they're not valuing making money, even if if it's a non-traditional business? I mean, from our, our aspect, from what we've been taught, we're not taught what business is or how, what the actual business is from when we were younger. We are taught what a hustle is. Mm-hmm. So we equivalent everything to a hustle. So if I'm on the street selling socks, I'm taking that as a hustle as opposed to it's a business. You know what I mean? I'm not taking it as mine. It's just as business, uh, just as a same as a business as a McDonald's. I'm thinking, oh, I'm selling socks, so I'm hustling. But what I'm trying to say is how people get tricked into that when that really is a business. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most effective tools of white supremacy is that everything that we do, regardless of how successful or impactful it can be, it's still considered less than the dominant culture says. So as far as I'm concerned, a hustle is a business. If you're doing it right, then you're doing it right. And you're creating opportunity and value for yourself and your family. And that's what is important. I think a lot of times it's the language too that we use, right? Mm-hmm. So I grew up, <clears throat> I grew up in Harlem, all up and down Lenox Avenue. I knew all the shop owners, mm-hmm. but they were just mom and pop shops, mm-hmm. right? Once I got to college and started to get in the tech world, it was all, they were all entrepreneurs. Mm. I was like, that's the same thing that these people were doing right. at home. Right. But we called them mom and pop shops, not startups. Right. Right. And, and so mm. you, you, you don't feel like you can participate in a conversation because you're not using the same language. Yes, right. Exactly. And so I'm telling you, that's a, that's, What's so effective? Right. About so, what, <laughs> it's so, crazy. so that's why we want to do this show. Right. Because what we want to do is we want to like, uh, level it a little bit, mm-hmm. make sure that we know it's the same thing. Like we talk about code switching all the time, uh-huh. like in our community, right? Like you and I went to, uh, shout out to Wesleyan, yeah, but you know, we went to a, a private college and everything like that. And you know, when you're in certain spaces, you try to speak a certain way Yep. and then you come home and then you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to speak regularly. But I just feel like now, like mm-hmm. the regular conversation like all those people who speak regular conversations, you can still be in a conversation. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to switch it up. Right. Um, I think, you know, you do when you get into business, you do need to learn the language of the business, mm-hmm. the jargon, as yeah. they call it. Like that stuff is important. But I think something that me and Beef, when we first like had this initial idea, it literally was just about tapping into every all the people that's mm-hmm. doing these things. They might not know that they're doing it. Right. Right. It hasn't been packaged it's not framed in that way, right. but we're doing it. So if we can like provide that language and teach people that language, mm. then let's do that Amen. so that we can all 
sit around the table, have this conversation, just like you say, right? Yeah, like you consider hustle business. And, and Jim does too. Mm -hmm. like we've had that conversation as well. Like it's about, you know, not, it, you know, we say that it's about turning the hustle into a business, but it, it's the same. Right. You know, it's still the same. Uh, one thing, I think we need to give our guests a really great introduction to her because it's like, you know, I want to introduce you as what, you know, I've, I've seen as people, others introduce you as a social justice, this, that, and the third. But there's so many layers to you and what you, what, what, the reason why we're sitting with you, you know, <laughs> to really give you the flowers that you deserve and a certain amount of the, the accolades that you have. I mean, you know, you've been on a TED Talks, you I mean, she launched it basically was one of the founding like speakers launched their platform. Mm -hmm. You have a quote in the Smithsonian. Yes, I do. And it says you shouldn't have to move to live in a better neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And that is sort of like the thesis of like what you've been the work that you've been doing. Absolutely. You know, and like I think it's very, very important that we get really be able to and like the show says mine these diamonds from you mm -hmm. because you're. Real estate developer, you started tech startups, you know how to effectively work with government entities and, and funds on how to get money for entrepreneurs. I mean, we really need to pull these gems out. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. That's a lot. That's wow. A, that's a lot. That's a lot. Wow. Just me thinking you were just a landlord. Oh, no. Well. <laughs> and that's crazy how you guys, you guys already know each other. Like, you know, like. So it's so funny when I reached out to Majora, she was like, oh, this is crazy. You're doing a podcast with Jim Jones. He was just in my building last week. And yes. I was like, really? Tell, tell me that story. Like, what, what happened? Um, I was, we, we were shooting a video for Artisman Peso. Um, he uh, vested in Umbrella Studio. That's where we actually been recording the whole Bird Gang album. And then we actually shot a video um, next door to the studio, which is part of the building, I believe, also. Mm -hmm. And uh, black ladies in there in middle of the night with a bunch of goons. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you know. I was just checking you out You try not to pay, to pay no mind, like, strange, but okay. Um, and then, lo and behold, it was like, uh, introduced me. She's the uh, owner of the property, you know. <laughs> He said, checking out the video and seeing what's up. I was like, oh, that's pretty dope. Did you like, expect to see this black lady? No, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I was kind of looking over you like, the who was the owner? I, but, I bet you were. And I get that a lot. I get that a lot also in mm -hmm. certain situations, but that's what we go through as being uh, black no. people. And that's how we train to think. And that's me trying to get out of my way also of thinking like that because it shouldn't be even. I went through, mm. I went through this yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, guys, in my, in my property... And if you see my properties, like you, if you don't belong here, you sh there's no way you this close to my house. Mm. So I come out with a dog, and he has an attitude. Mm. Um, I'm like, uh, "What's going? What? What are you? What are you doing here?" Like he got an attitude with me because I let my dog out. I'm like, um, "Don't worry property. about the dog. Worry about me." <laughs> he like, "Yeah, I need to speak to the owner. The owner called me." I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> mm. The, lie the owner called you. Yeah. Really? That was a lie. Yeah. Really? The owner called you. Yeah. Then Chrissy comes out. She's like, no, I, I didn't call you. Then he comes to find to be on the wrong property. So I'm like, so my dog would have bit your ass up. And he'd have deserved it. You did. Sorry, but you me. had an attitude with me coming out. My, I'm coming out of my house and you still asking me, where's the owner at? So I. 
call me for that blank mom. Nah, no, it's the same thing. So the where we met is this old, it's a former rail station um, up in Hunts Point in the South Bronx. And uh, I acquired it a few years ago. And the plan is to transform it into an event hall. So you can do everything from music videos to um, host weddings, et cetera. And uh, what was interesting is that we, you know, during COVID, when before you could actually find people to do work, my husband and I literally just decided to do some of the interior demo ourselves, like just because we, we didn't have a whole hell of a lot to do. And so what was fascinating was, you know, I was born and bred in this neighborhood. Actually, I moved to my, my family's been there since the 1940s. And that's that building is the reason why my dad bought it, because he was a Pullman porter. And now his baby girl like has the deed to it. But so my husband and I were literally like wheelbarrowing our 50 some year old selves, like wheelbarrowing, like, you know, with sledgehammers and putting stuff out on the, um, you know, in a, in a, in a dumpster outside and people would come up and be like, Oh my gosh, like this building, it's been vacant for all this time. What you going to do? What, no, what are they going to do with it? And I was just like, you mean, what am I going to do with it? Yes. (laughs) And they were just like, you like Majora from Oneida, like, what is like, yes, you know, this is, and this is how I did it. This is how I got it. And yes, this is what we're going to do. And what was fascinating is that I watched like a look of people just being like, that can't possibly be true to actually watching them go, wait, is this possible to maybe this is something that I could do. And, And it was just like, let's figure out how do we make this less of like an oddity and less of a surprise Mm -hmm. and actually really putting ourselves in the situation where this is just like normal for, you know, people of color to actually be in the position within their own communities who, and developing opportunities for other folks to do their thing as well. So yes, I'm delighted to meet you. You know, Charlie was using the building that night um, in its crazy little state of uh, (laughs) demolition. It was actually beautiful for what we were doing. Totally. It it, it was totally, totally perfect. Mm -hmm. The way it was, it was, it just, everything happens for a reason, I guess. And I like this intro uh, to you is because it feels it's, it's in line with what we're Mm -hmm. thinking for the episode is self gentrification. Mm. It's sort of like, I mean, it might be, you know, I don't think it's a taboo word to say it. I mean, like we had a conversation in a previous episode where Jim was like, I actually like gentrification. You know, like I lived in Harlem all these years. I remember, you know, like how it used to look. And I remember the Bronx and my cousin yeah. lived in the Bronx mm-hmm. in 81. But you mm-hmm. get out the train station and it looked like literally like Berlin after oh. the war. Like it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Like and mm-hmm. and to see that and to know that now like. You know, when you get older, you start to get entrepreneurial, you start to have ideas, you start to have dreams. But then you're also faced with like, I, I can't do this. Right. You know, right. Like and, it's impossible for me to do this. But then and now we have an example and a model, you know, that looks just like me. It looks like we can come from the same tribe mm-hmm. to be like, hey, this woman and her husband are doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not so foreign of a right. concept. Right. You know, but I well, think people I think people need to get the word they taking the word gentrification wrong like it seems that every time that we hear the word gentrification is like a bad thing like it's it's something against the black community when that's not what gentrification means well i think what people have issues with is that the the people who are it, it, it tends to displace people I right mean, yes but and let's, that's what let's it is. get to the let's 
We want to pull up the meaning of gentrification I mean, so we, that I, so we, our black people can understand what the program is because they gentrify white neighborhoods also. Oh yeah. Oh. Right. But, so but why don't you? They include how about, the white people more into the structure of rebuilding exactly. the community than and they that's with where, the black people, and that's what I say. That's the only part I don't like about when they gentrify right. our communities. Well, we all want our neighborhoods to be better. Right. They and we want it to include us. And unfortunately, yes. the approach to development that happens in many of our communities is that they that it's that it's that improvement doesn't include us, and yes. it waits until after you know we're we're moved out or we don't you know understand the value of our own communities. So we'll often sell early or cheap. Um, and then we won't be a part of the changes that that happen. And sometimes it's it's very deliberate, yes. you know, how, how it happens as well. And so I get that folks have issues, you know, with the idea of it because historically, you know, we have not been on the receiving end of the benefits of it. But again, that doesn't mean that people don't want the benefits of their neighborhoods improving. Right. And believe, you know, I was there. I was um, born in '66, so. I literally watched buildings burn down, you know, walked across the rubble. Um, and, what, I was just yeah. going to say, I think for for gentrifiers, mm-hmm. right, whether you're self-gentrifying or not, if you're not a part of the community, it takes a certain amount of vision, right? Yes. So, and I feel like what happened to, a, especially <clears throat> to black people mm-hmm. in Harlem, even in the Bronx, right, Definitely. during the 70s and the 80s, when it was so terrible, mm-hmm. that they all left. Yes. Right? They wanted to get as far away from that community because they could not see any value in that community. Right. And that's exactly how it works. And But that, even that, is just so structured when it gets right down to it. It's just like the real estate industry and our government totally like, like first of all, you, you own real estate, it's going to go up. Mm-hmm. It may go down sometimes, but it's going to eventually it's going to go up. And what they're banking on, you know, quite frankly, is the fact that, you know, in particular people of color, black people, you know, you, you add up the fact that there's been structural issues that, that sort of separate us from the American dream in terms exactly. of access to capital. Mm-hmm. And then you couple it with the fact that there's been lack of education, mm-hmm. you know, amongst how do we develop the fin- kind of financial literacy chops mm-hmm. that help us understand that, you know, yes, yes, our neighborhoods, you know, have been in this sort of like downhill spiral. And then if we own the property, then the first thing we do when we when we see you know someone saying I'll buy your house for cash that should tell us right then and there it's like hmm. oh really as opposed to oh my god let me get out of here and move to the Poconos or something yep, and that's often what happens they mm-hmm. move to New I mean and that's what it is I yep. mean they tricking us with a little bit of money they wave in front of our face right. and then we get we miss out on the benefits right. of the rebuild of the community because exactly. gentrification just means. Rebuild. Right. And gentrification, right. actually, the, and if you really look at it, it's, it's basically, it's a, it's an issue around popular, around population growth and supply and demand. Mm-hmm. If we are not building mm-hmm. the number of units that are needed so that m- more people can be adequately housed mm-hmm. at different income levels, yes, it is going to, the, like, the, the, the actual fruits of the development will fall to either developers that know how to, like, to build subsidized housing for very, very poor people and, and will concentrate them in poor communities, or they'll figure out, or they'll understand the value of actually creating, you know, more market rate and other types of housing. And and that's why folks are flipping out about gentrification. And, but the word itself, I mean, I, I actually don't even use the word in terms of the work that we do because it's just too triggering to people. Yes. And after a while, it's just it's sort like, of like... That's what I'm saying. It's like a fight can't. about the housing. Like exactly. I was going to ask so, you that because I know, mm. right, you have received so much backlash protesters mm. at your buildings <laughs> like it's it's you know it's pretty amazing mm-hmm. how the work that the you're work. doing 
right? You think that you are helping this mm-hmm. particular community and yet you are receiving backlash mm-hmm. from this particular community. I mean about gentrification. I just want to why didn't you just why didn't you just say fine, revitalization? Like why would you well, stick with such a polarization? Revitalization also is a triggering word as well. Can it I is. can I can I read the meaning of gentrification? So gentrification is the process of changing the character of a neighborhood through the influx of more affluent residents and business businesses because it tends to change the character of neighborhoods it is a common and controversial topic in politics and in urban planning gentrification often increases economic value of a neighborhood but the resulting in demographic displacement may itself become a major social issue gentrification often shifts a neighborhood's racial ethnic composition and average household income by developing new more expensive housing and businesses in a gentrified architectural style and extending the improving resources that had not been previously accessible. I totally see it. I'm, I'm from Arvern, Far Rockaway, Queens, mm, mm. right there in the middle. Like I grew up, it was horrible. It was just the worst place ever. But now fast forward, if you go to Far Rockaway, mm. you'll see the surf shops and oh, the yeah. restaurants and the Far condos. Rockaway. The beach. When yeah. I grew up, we find dead bodies on the beach. Nobody yeah. went to the beach. Mm. Mm-hmm. Let me like, tell you, the first time I met my husband, he was like, oh, let me take you. To, I grew up on the beach. I'm going to take you to the beach. And I was just like, this is not Miami. Definitely wasn't from he's Miami. Like, don't go out far. Just, you know, stay right here. And now that's like, that's our spot. They have little taco shops. Yep. Like it is the boardwalk. It's really me. sweet. I, I, you know, and I, I was like, wow, man, like imagine growing up now in Far Rockaway being this close to like a surf shop and learning how to surf. I know. Or learning to be a part of One that day. and seeing these community, like seeing these small businesses no, grow it's up. Cra- it's, you know what's crazy for me? And, and, you know, I'm always outside in the neighborhood is to see the white people come and asking for the weed. Mm. Like, yo, yo, got, yo, got, yo, got, yo, got the za. Like, you be on the blood, they be like, za? Like what? <laughs> Wait, what? Like yo, they they come a part of the neighborhood and they like it's just crazy to see. Like it's like it's. it's I also lived in in Brooklyn on Malcolm X Boulevard, and uh, I watched that. I watched. It's a certain you know when you have people that you know are not part of the what the neighborhood originally was to you because neighborhoods will change over the course of many years mm-hmm. their demographics, but. And when it comes from, in, when it's mostly a black neighborhood that is starting to be gentrified, revitalized, you'll start to see it. I saw it in Chicago on the South Side. I remember being in the South Side on in Woodlawn in Chicago, in the middle of it's like 2015, the middle of the worst homicides and crazy mm-hmm. gang violence. And up the street is the the white couple pushing a stroller, and I was like, this With no kid, sweat and no sweat, no pressure, no pressure. That's what, and this is this is the craziest thing to me in the neighborhood. Like it's like. Our business is still our business. Like they not, there's nothing happening to these white people inside of these black communities, but the black on black crimes is still going rampant as ever. Right. You're seeing it in Brooklyn right now. You see it all over the place. I mean, and then you look at that child born in this neighborhood won't have the baggage of saying, yeah, I'm from this block on this side. I represent this. They don't have to go through they, that. They're not going to go over through right, any that's, of that. But that's the function, you know, and 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 form, you know, of hundreds and years of, of white supremacy. Like, let's just let, call that because mm-hmm. that is the truth. And so I, I I agree that there's the but but it comes down to us like why do we not value 
you know, what we have. I mean, it comes from a very well-oiled machine of telling us that we don't. So, but I want to just um, bring up the the term that, that I use, which was self-gentrification, which I did not make up. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it from a, a, a reverend actually in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. He was at that time the head of Johnson C. Smith University, which mm-hmm. is historically That's black my dad. College. My dad went to no that way. college. Yes. Okay. So this, mm-hmm. you will appreciate this. So Reverend Carter, that was named, no relation, but I loved him. Civil rights activist, the whole shebang. He, you know, the, the town next to or where Johnson C. Smith, C. Smith University was located is very poor town, right, in Charlotte. And um, so they, between um, the university and some, you know, community leaders and um, some financial institutions, they were like, look, the way out of this, like, persistent poverty is to literally create opportunities for people in this community to do development and finance them to do so. So, and they did, and they were building stuff and, you know, businesses, housing, the whole shebang. And then, but there were folks within the community who saw development and were just like, oh, that's got to be some white people coming in here doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and Dr. and Reverend Carter was just like, no, like these are, this, like, these are the people in your community. This like, oh, they're gentrifying us. It was like, no, 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 these are these are like your neighbors. So if anything you want to call it gentrification, it's not gentrification. It's if you want to call it gentrification, it's self-gentrification because this is development that is by us and for us. Like we are doing this for us, for our community, for our future development. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was just like, yeah, because again, people in our communities want to see us prosper. Mm-hmm. You know, they do you know there when we did the research as you know as a developer, I did it sort of backward. You know, I started by asking folks in the community what are their hopes and dreams and aspirations for the kind of community they wanted to live in. And, you know, or, you know, what about our neighborhood in the South Bronx made them want to leave? And it was never things like crime or anything like that. It was more like, there's no place for me to hang out. Right. Like there's, I mean, just like straight up little lifestyle infrastructure things. And so I was like, that's why we need to build this, this kind of infrastructure. So, and so it came to me, it's like people wanted nice things too, straight up. So I was like, why are we, so how about I start building some of those things? And that's essentially what we started doing. And so, and the thing is, when I would use the phrase self-gentrification, those who were just like the aspiring ones in our community were just like, oh my God. Yeah. It's like, why can't we have nice things too? Right here where we are. Why, why can't we have nice yeah. things? Yeah. So, but others, and it was, and it, I think it was a small majority, um, a small minority actually, who were just sort of like, all they heard was gentrification. And that is what I think provoked the kind of reaction. But let me ask, anytime you develop a community, an area, right, the value goes up. Mm-hmm. Whether it's you doing it yourself mm-hmm. or some white people coming in or mm-hmm. any other person coming in, right? Once the value starts to increase, right? Every Everybody benefits, right? right. To some degree, right? right? So you start to see like the prices in the stores go up. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a time when Dutch masters used to be 50 cents, two foot dollars, 75. Now they want to charge dollar 25. You're like, <laughs> what? Like, all it just happens, right? right? Because the value of the community is coming up. Right. And so inevitably what happens is that someone, that person, those people who have been living there forever that mm-hmm. was used to getting right. those low prices mm-hmm. are now going to feel the pinch, right? They're like, well, we can't afford to be in this community anymore, regardless of who's developing it. Mm-hmm. I don't okay. care that you're black. 
the bottom line is I cannot afford, afford to, to live, live here anymore. Yeah. And now that you've come in and you put your nice little fancy coffee shop <laughs> and you put your nice little studio, you put your nice little such and such, it's great for everybody else. But for all of us who are not business people and entrepreneurs and hustlers and we're just regular you know, civil servant workers, we can't afford to be here anymore. And now you're, the work that you're doing is pushing, is changing the community. I mean, I'm not saying that there won't ever be any kind of change because there's always change. Agreed. I mean, even specifically within, you know, very, very poor communities, people are moving all the time. Right. All the time. It's like they don't, it, it's a, they're transient by nature. And there's also some data out there that shows that, that there actually are opportunities for people to stay right where they are, um, you know, as well. So it, it's, it's really, really complicated. But I think the ultimate you know, piece is that, you know, gentrification in and of itself, it, it really is a part of the law of supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And why are we not actually really thinking about developing, um, you know, real estate within those communities, Mm-hmm. That actually creates more opportunity, more supply you know, on both not just the housing side, but also on the business development side. Right. And that's where I'm like, like, we know, we know because it's happened like for decades, you know, exactly what happens to these communities when they change. So if we can see it coming, which we all do. Right. How about we like. Try something different. Right. How about we do the development? How about we actually start thinking about and demanding the kind of like changes in terms of the development that happens there? I mean, I did it myself, you know, because I was just like, frankly, really tired of watching the way that development was done in my community. Was that difficult for you? Oh, my God. It's like the how, worst thing in the world. But how, how did you me. even learn how to do it? Like, seriously, like well, I'm just sitting thing, here saying uh, like. And doing my research, you know, uh, not only about you, but just about the South Bronx in general (laughs) is a great dissertation, uh, Battle of Bronx 2013. I think it was, uh, it's amazing, 167 pages of where somebody really just went through. And I I will be able to credit the person later. um, And talked about like the cause of the South Bronx being like the, the cause of like, the abandonment from the real estate owners and who were with the banks had uh-huh. conspired together yep. to devalue the property mm-hmm. so low, you know, and then there were low people that didn't have the money to leave that were these community organizations that worked with local government to be able to create ways that they can help revitalize mm-hmm. the community through the eight, through the seventies, late seventies, mm-hmm. through the eighties. And then I started to see like, you know, that was kind of the catalyst to like you, you know, and I wanted to see how, like, you know, talk about this process of working with like government agencies and and radical like liberals who are just like, <laughs> you know, we have to make sure that you know the people that are there have the resources and access to funds. But at the end of it, at the end of the day, you have a problem between for profit uh, landlords who are like being brought in to be like, hey, they can help because they, they're funded. They can help revitalize the community. But you also have to keep in mind on the other side, we have a base of people here that will be displaced and they shouldn't be. And that really comes to go back to your quote, like you shouldn't have to move to mm-hmm. live in a better mm-hmm. neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I, I like want to know your process on how to do that, because, you know, Jim, very entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. you know, looking at his own building right now in Harlem and um, probably tons of other real estate, mm-hmm. you know. But instead of just him coming out of his pocket, you know, and having to pay an exorbitant amount of cash, you know, what agencies or what organizations or what, you know, like, is it, is it just a fund or is it like a grant or? I mean, look, I, unfortunately, (sighs) since to your 
question. <laughs> How did I get started? I didn't know nothing about nothing. I mean, I really didn't. And, you know, ended up, you know, spending all of my own money, you mm. know, actually doing this because like I didn't have the kind of mentors, you know, like I didn't have, you know, uncle, you know, the uncle in the business, you know, who like passes down generations. Like I wasn't one of those little white kids who had that. And, um, and so I ended up doing things on my own and, and, and not being really good at it to tell you the truth. And, and actually, frankly, trusting, you know, that there was a process there where that, where the system was set up to be fair and it's not, mm. it is not. You know, it's like it is about it is about other people's money, you know, and access to capital and the relationships that, you know, basically make it so that you can actually get your next deal with equity. Because mm. right now, you know, unfortunately, I think in a lot of communities, it's like what, when they're talking about, like, you know, working with community, it's never for an equity stake. And there aren't I mean, there are some there are definitely developers that look like me, but they're on um, the the challenge that's that that come to us are significant because it is just you know like 2020 kind of like showed that there was an issue with um oh my goodness like you know black folks and other people of color really do have a hard time here it's like uh yeah but it but it showed like but but i think it just sort of just put it shine shown a spotlight on it in a way that made it really difficult but you know the way that i think it could happen and what what i think is exciting frankly about being here with you and the fact that you're mining diamonds um is that how do we you know collectively you know like the ones that do are we build oops, sorry are we building funds you know to support you know more um you know black and brown development and you invest in local businesses and those type of things I think are really important so that collectively we can actually like, you know, make those those inroads to support right. those communities. Because right. otherwise it's it is it is super, super hard. And um, you know, because we don't have that the access to capital. And it's just like you're only as big as your as you're only as good as your last deal. And if your last deal was like next to nothing. You then know, you're just going to yeah, be typecast or totally. into but, saying that you can't get this type of deal. Exactly. Like you you don't have it to get a hundred million dollars in funding to put a to start a development I was like, project. My, my uncle couldn't, you know, guarantee like a loan for me. I mean, no, it just didn't happen. But listen, this is not new, right? No. And so we know we talked about the what we saw what happened in the sixties and the seventies. We saw people move out, mm-hmm. right? And we're now in twenty twenty one, right? Why? Like, why is it in fifty years we don't have student like people? Under learning about urban planning, right? Or we don't have people that are in development or in finance that are solving this particular problem mm-hmm. because this is not new. No. So on some level, like, I just think, like, is this by design? Yes. Like, do they not want us to win? Is yes. it a concerted effort yes. to not win? Yes. And I think we're in some way, shape, or form um, kind of buy into it, frankly. The nonprofit industrial complex, I believe. I wanted to ask you about yeah. that. You know, generally, and and our government tends to believe that poverty in our communities is actually, it's almost as if poverty is a cultural attribute, like it's a part of our DNA. Mm -hmm. And that there will just be some of us, you know, in some communities that will always be in need of the largesse Mm -hmm. of the nonprofit industrial complex and the the government that kind of supports them. Mm -hmm. And, but what Mm -hmm. that actually does is it creates, you know, this, this continued dynamic where, you know, the nonprofits, you know, whether they're really big nonprofits or small ones that are there to, to, to like, you know, really be the direct services to the community. 
they'll do okay because they can get to say, it's like, we're helping. But what does that actually do to the people on the ground, case in point? Um, if you look back at, you know, yes, there were plenty of, of amazing organizations, you know, after the Bronx literally burned. I mean, we lost 60% of our population during the burnings. I mean, we were literally the, the poster child for blight in America, and with good reason, um, because it was just, it did look like a war-torn, you know, after the war. I mean, it was crazy pants. And it's like, yeah. So um, what, what was really interesting is that there was this push toward just creating just rental, you know, affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And pretty much everybody was pretty poor, straight mm-hmm. up. But there wasn't, you know, and even though like landlords were literally walking away from property and the city was selling stuff for like a buck, mm-hmm. there relatively, there was a lot less folks in, in, in the nonprofit world that were just like, how about we work on home ownership? And literally ownership for folks here. How about we do that? Mm. And just over the past like 20 years or so within the South Bronx in particular, in my neighborhood, you know, our um, home ownership rate has gone from, I think it was like in the 20s, 20% down to less than seven mm. because of predatory speculation. Because there, because again, there's been a push for like, let's create more affordable housing, you know, for really for very, very poor folks, but we're not going to create like opportunities for economic diversity because the thing is like all of us want our kids to do really well and we'll like, you know, encourage the kind of brain drain. As a matter of fact, we're expected to measure success by how far we get away from our communities. Exactly. And we create programs that allow that to happen as if it's meant to be. But what does that mean for the community that's left behind? It's like we just continue to entrench the poverty there that could then be exploited by the nonprofit industrial prof, um, um, oh, complex as well as um, you know our government who also you know there's like federal funds that basically you know for all of the the folks the poor folks that that are there that that need services there's funding that goes through that mm-hmm. you know and of course you know then we talk about the private sector you know the the builders of most affordable housing are not doing it be- out of the kindness of their heart they're doing it because there's a tremendous amount of, yeah, of tremendous public amount. subsidies yep. in mm-hmm. it so and again i think that there's needs to be opportunities for all sorts of folks you know within communities economic diversity is the a stabilizing force in our communities because if you don't see it you won't know it exactly. so you want to see like you know folks like you living in your place like i got to tell you the only time i get really hurt in my neighborhood is when somebody sees me sees me appreciates my work knows that i'm from the neighborhood and then asks me where do i live now because mm. to them, you know, it's like they see me as successful and therefore I couldn't possibly live two blocks away from the house I grew up in, which is what I which is where I live. And and that hurts me because it really just sort of like cements this idea that our communities don't have value and value doesn't stay there in any way, shape or form, whether it's economic capital or human capital. And that is the tragedy that we all have to acknowledge and then go, what do we do in order to create the kind of success and well-being that our communities desperately need? Because that's how we'll like beat white supremacy. If we can, in our own daggone communities, show that we can create well-being by actually supporting everybody and not just the folks that get supported by like this, this, the nonprofit industrial complex and all the players associated with it, but 
actually, how do we say, you know, to the strivers in our communities, like, could you come back right. and be that wonderful, amazing, you know, that resource? Yes, yes, to people in the neighborhood so yes. they know it's like, yo, you can do this too. I mean, I see it all the time. You could drive up 7th Avenue and pass 3-5th and mm. there's this guy sitting outside, mm. you know? And, and that's really important. Yeah. That, like, it's, that vision is really important that yep. somebody said, well, you know, I know that he's here. Yes. And he, there's value in that being there. Mm -hmm. Now, we, let's lot. get him a building here. Let's get, like, let's buy a, a huge track of land or whatever available property, uh, available property that we can start building mm -hmm. on top of that. Yeah. I want to talk about something you said, right? Supporting mm -hmm. Uh, levels and types of people in the community, right? Mm -hmm. So at one point when uh, I started to become entrepreneurial, right? Mm. I would be like, there's no staples. Like all the big box stores, like the office supply stores, like I had to go all the way downtown. Mm -hmm. So when you ask the people, what brings you out of your community? Why are your dollars yep. leaving the community? What was valuable to me at mm -hmm. the time, right, was I needed office supplies. I needed really good Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. Like we're a media company you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I'm like, can I get files or something? Why should we blame or, you for that? Or I, I don't even, there's no place that I could have a meeting. Every time I want to meet with somebody, we have to go all the way downtown mm -hmm. and sit at a little coffee shop. It's taking us 45 minutes. That's yep. two hours out of my day. Like, there's nowhere. So for me as an entrepreneur, this was not the place, nope. right? But then fast forward, like now we have, now we have all these things and I hate it. <laughs> And they always say, be careful for what you ask for, right? But I'm like, the it's no community. like, And so I look for these little spots. I look for little businesses that I could support. But then sometimes I'm like, they're charging how much? Mm. I already know I could get that from Amazon. Right. A lot cheaper, right? So how is it that, like, what are the things that you're doing, right, that's saying we want to support the most vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. The lower income people, right? But then there's also people that, so that you avoid this brain drain, you don't want everyone leaving, right? Mm -hmm. Because you want us to be beacons, but you also want us to spend our money Amen. there, yes. right? So Gotta how do both. you cater to people like me, mm -hmm. cater to people like Jim, who is like, he's an entrepreneur, he's a hustler, he has kids now. Yep. He wants to buy <laughs> things for his, they want bigger things. Yep. Our kids, let me tell you something. These kids nowadays, like the things that they want, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But That's this is the life. <laughs> this is the life that they are accustomed to, that they live in, mm -hmm. and it's like, I don't want. Like, uh, I think when Big Russ was on one of the episodes, he mm -hmm. said he started a, a little diva shop because he was like, he didn't want the moms to have to take their little daughters to the spa all the way out in New Jersey to mm. have a good time, mm. right? So that's so, oh my God. It is. It's, yeah. it's like those, these are the types of ideas and people that we want to like highlight and support because right. we need to have these and things, right? Big Russ and somebody, nobody else would have done that. Right. In like, their own so neighborhood. So, for example, right, Jim sits in front of this dance studio, mm -hmm. right? So, my daughter, she's dancing her little life away, <laughs> her and her girls. And I'm like, I have a studio, right? Like, we don't have to go right. down to whatever dance thing on 72nd Street. Right. Right. You, we have someplace up in Harlem, mm -hmm. right? And so I love when you said, I, the first thing I did was I asked the people in the community, what is it that you need? What's your idea of a community? Yep. What types of things that you need, right? That's going to make you stay, not just mm -hmm. the people that's been here for 50 years. Right. Because when you think about gentrification, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm like going off, no, but like, like when, you think about, when you think about gentrification, right? It's usually you think of like rich white people moving into the community, mm. right? And- to your point, when you, like, growing up, 
it was always like, get out of the Bronx, mm-hmm. go move down to, you made it if you could afford yes. to live on the Upper West Side. Absolutely. Right? That was my dream. Paul mm-hmm. was like, I want to live in Harlem. And I was like, I want to go to the Upper West Side. It's next to Central Park. <laughs> yes. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and he's like, there's no culture there. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're not moving there. But I wanted all of the accoutrements. I wanted mm-hmm. to be t- close to a nice park. Right. I like convenience. I want to, I don't want to have to walk seven blocks from the train. There's no bank in my neighborhood. Like yeah. I don't like paying fees. I'm mad frugal. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not doing that. Right. So there you. were like all these little things. Right. So it's like, you want to keep all of us are now black women are the most graduated classes, right? We're graduating at ex- crazy rates. Amazing. We're making yep. money now, mm-hmm. right? Black women, most entrepreneurial. Yes, we are. So if you want us to come back. Right. To the community, the gentrifiers are not going to just be the rich white people. They're right. going to be rich black people, right? Or I mean, the that's, one, that's, or get mm-hmm. them. Or, sorry, but but to get them to stay. So I mean, that's the thing. It's like because the thing is, what we found is that the same. We all want nice things, right? You know, our cafe is is close to it. You know, we worked really hard to make sure that we're as comparable in in terms of price as as a Dunkin' down the street, right? Okay, but we're way better quality. Right. You know, and you could get anything you want there. But what's been really fascinating is that, you know, the, the sort of like the perception that like, oh, well, maybe that's not for us. You know, mm-hmm. cons- but the thing is like what we've done over and frankly over these years is literally create the kind of infrastructure that allows folks to feel like, OK, this is for me, too. Whether it's like hosting open mics, you know, creating, you know, opportunities for for young folks to create their own events at the at using our spot. That's been like a tremendous thing. Do you have a part of your business model is to have people, are they co-investors? Like, can they invest in? That's a whole, honey, that was a whole other thing because there's like the sort of like the spiritual piece where it's just like where people sort of take that kind of spiritual ownership of a space because mm-hmm. they feel like this Bizarre was this was literally made for me. Yes. And which is super important. But the other piece was actually right after we discovered this, like right after COVID, you know, we had to shut down like pretty much everybody else for a while. And when we reopened, you know, we could have just opened, but what we wanted to do was sort of, again, use this a, a teaching as a teaching moment. And we discovered that the, um, thanks to the new regs and the Security and Exchange Commission, that there are these, these um, crowdfunding investment platforms online that allow people to invest for the same rate of return as somebody who's investing with, with $100. It was someone who's renting with 100, excuse me, investing with 100 bucks as someone who's investing with a million, literally. And, and so we decided to be like, look, we're going to use this as a model. We use Mainvest, which is um, a platform. Yeah, great yeah, company. Really great good company. And um, excuse me, it was really cool because we got uh, about 125 small investors. We raised um, $50,000. And I would say most of the investors invested $300 or less. Mm, and this, and you know, and, and again, same kind of return for folks that, that invested the thousands. But the whole idea was that people were really excited about like, wait, I can do this too. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I feel that's why we did it. Cause honestly, we could have gotten a, a much better return if we, if we needed a loan to just go through like more traditional stuff. And I got good credit, so I could have. Um, but it was more like, no, how are we going to show folks that this is even an opportunity, that this is even available for them? Well, and, you, you said, you said really quick, you were like, yeah, I have good credit. And there's a lot of people that don't understand credit or have credit mm-hmm. to say that, hey, I'm already shut out. Right. So there's no way that I can actually reach it. That's uh, what people want you to believe. They're 
there are ways to get back in. That's the thing. It's like the, we we've done it on us on a small scale. You know, we don't get funding to do it. We've never, but but we've actually created opportunities for folks to learn about how to build your credit. Like little things. Like one of the folks, um, you know, one of our customers, literally, um, he was a dreamer from from Colombia, and um, and he he couldn't get the right papers. So he had to teach himself from a really young age, like how to hustle and make money. He did it in the stock market and built his him, his family's credit and his own credit as a way to do it. And he like sat up in our space on Saturday afternoons and literally would, would tell people how to do this. And it was just like, were, this is what family does. Were people coming yeah, to the workshop? Totally. Like we would open a little earlier just so that they could get there. You know, and it would be like 30 people sitting on the other side of, of the, you know, at, uh, sitting on the other side of the bench at the cafe while he had his little PowerPoint up on the screen. How did you learn about credit? Me? Yeah. I still don't got credit. Buy everything with cash? <laughs> Dang. So That's real. Is that, is that, do you think that hinders you a little bit in your entrepreneur nah, endeavors? I got I got my ways. I got businesses, so my businesses got credit. But even myself, I never was good at credit from since I went to college for a couple of months. And I burnt that credit card out. It never made sense for me. It didn't. It it, it wasn't worth it for me. Right. You know what I mean? But what I was going to ask her is about for someone who wants to establish credit that doesn't have credit. What would be the first thing you advise somebody to do? I mean, there are cards that you can get. And basically, just allow you to to buy to get the card, and you put money on it, and then you keep you keep paying it down, pay credit card. literally. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and that is like you like for people that use. We know plenty of folks are just like I don't trust credit cards. I'm not going to get it, and they pay cash all the time. No, people, you're a ghost. You are an absolute ghost. And I'm, I was that's what I wanted to be. Now I got businesses. I don't exactly. Want, I want you to think I ain't got no credit. I know you don't. I know you do. I didn't I, believe for a second. I believe in credit. You heard? <laughs> right. Me, myself, I don't use no credit cards or anything because mm -hmm. no, it's too funny out there. So I'm yep. scared whenever I go on a spot and Jim Jones uses credit card, nine times out of ten, it's faulty behavior in mm. any one of these stores that we shopping in. So they really? know that my credit card is a buster. So I tend to always <laughs> use cash so that I don't get caught up in the mix. In the mix, but well, that's different. I mean, th I can totally understand but that. But like your houses yeah. and your yeah, cars, yeah, just yeah. Stuff, house, right? house, right. cars, all that. We got all that. I credit is one of the most is, is is very important. But a lot of people don't know how to attain credit. Just like mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know how to open a business. What would you say the first steps to opening a business is after you have your credit established? Identifying the market, making sure there is a market. Because that's one of the things that folks tend to not do. It's like, I have this great idea and it's just a good idea in their head and they haven't figured out if there is there a market for what they want. Yeah, I'll, I'm doing a lot of research on what's called TAM, Total Accessible Market, mm -hmm. and understanding that when you're going out for investment, you know, the investor wants to know, mm -hmm. well, what is the total accessible market mm -hmm. that you're trying to reach? Yep. Because that will help determine what you do with the money that I give you. Absolutely. And how you disperse the money, mm -hmm. you know. And you're learning all this on your own. You're just. Well, man, you know, exactly. I mean. I'm that, asking, what, like, I, is someone teaching you or no, are you just sitting there Googling? I, I'm sitting there doing a multitude of things. I'm, I'm buying books, that's, you know, that cost a hundred bucks. Like how, that sounds like how you, like, look at the scale to do your, your album, like. 
Exactly. My market is New York is my main market. My number two market is L.A. Then my number three market. So that's how my kind of brain works anyway mm-hmm. with, with anything that I'm doing. Right. Like, like she said, but the average person wouldn't know that. They would right. think, oh, I want to put out this this fly, fly, fly car clothing line. And then they go put it out like I fly and nobody's buying fly claw. Fly car, clothing line, bro. Like you know, you know what I mean. But yeah. nobody, uh, it's it's real. They're trying to understand the market. Like you have to really have a grip on and and be realistic. Mm-hmm. Realistic. Like I I want a building right. in Harlem. You know I and, or the Bronx. Like I know what I would do with it. You know I would create a, a space and just have all the the kids that I see with all these dreams and they need some place to congregate, which is mm-hmm. what the reason why you started. To do what you did because it was like, hey, I have no place to hang out, mm-hmm. and, that's and if what I have this no place to hang, all about. That's right. what you exactly. Said. You know, I have no place to hang out, so I'm gonna hang out in the street. So whatever comes with the street, right. now I'm a part of it, and that's you know, oh, it contributes to the violence and the downturn of the neighborhood and this and the third. But you have a group of kids who just really want a place to be, right? You know, and 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 some place that's safe, right? And it's super important, I think, especially if we're coming to talking about business development in our own communities. They, you know, they've got to be viable, like Mm -hmm. economically viable. And because, you know, our our neighborhoods need economic capacity. And so building things, creating jobs. I mean, that's that's the reality. That is a reality because then, you know, it's like, yeah, it's great that you want to have the space and you have the kids in it and you Mm want to do this and that third. But where's the return? Right. Exactly. You know, there always has to be a return. And I, I will say yes i i agree so, i absolutely agree how like so you have this book right you yes, have a book i do do you teach this stuff or do you talk about this stuff i, in your I book? am actually um now i'm a lecturer at princeton university and Ooh, i teach a class me. thank you very there much on creativity it's actually in the keller center for mm. entrepreneurship Ooh. and it's and i it's called uh creativity um, innovation and design you know, because what is design, if not anything except innovation, like mm-hmm. actually it's a, you know, a product of your creativity that someone else wants, that's innovation. And then, but design is innovation under constraints. So mm-hmm. you have, in order to build something awesome, whether it's like creating an awesome piece of music through whatever process you do, you know, or coming up with an idea for a clothing line to sell, you know, you've got to figure out like the constraints you have not enough, maybe not enough money, you know, trying to figure out your market share, but you're figuring out all this stuff so that you can get to the point where you actually have exactly what you need in order to move the, move the ball forward in your business. And, um, but what was your question? I'm I was totally asking forgot. if you do this in your book, because I oh. would argue maybe that some of the students at Princeton, not that they don't need you to teach them that because they'll probably have some other resources available to them. But I'm just wondering about the kids that don't get to go to Princeton. Although I got to tell you, some of the kids that go to Princeton are from the Bronx. In no. class, which I, makes me so, you have no idea how happy that made me. But anyway, that's another whole other but story. But I'm just saying like but, the, yeah. that, that other demographic, right? Yeah. That other demographic that's just sitting outside every, like, trust me, I come outside mm-hmm. and I'm like, yo, I don't went, did this, a show me and probe, shoot everything. And right. y'all are still here. I know. And it's not like, I don't think that they don't want to do right. things. So how do those kids learn about market share mm-hmm. and economic viability? Right. Let me tell you. It's, so it's so funny because, again, born and bred in, in my neighborhood, right? That's point. I'm a total around the way girl. Don't let my little valley girl accent fool you. Okay. I'm like died and bored in, in, in the hood. Um, 
And I also grew up in the 1970s when every, when girls were getting pregnant a lot. And my mother, like, maybe watched Brady Bunch as a po- and public television. So that's why I don't have any kind of accent, to tell you the truth. But anyway, that's beside the point. But I felt, I don't know why I needed to, like, felt okay. it. I needed to disclaim okay. that. It's okay. But I, it, it's it just like, there. sometimes Release. I'm just like, you know, people because need people to know. Have a perception. They do. And, and they definitely cr- mm-hmm. think, oh, you're at Princeton. Oh, you went to Wesleyan, mm-hmm. right? Oh, you did X, Y, and Z. So yeah. you must not, you can't relate. Yeah. You don't no. understand. I know. And it drives me crazy. And it's just like, that's the, the beauty of our people. We are really incredibly diverse and profoundly so. But that's a whole other story. But um, so, but my, my, my point is that, you know, here I am, been there in the community, you know, I have like, without a shadow of a doubt, like, like I got my fingerprints over like a lot of stuff, like spearhead of the development of the first waterfront park, you know, we've had in our community, you know, started one of the country's first and still most successful green collar job training and placement system that literally got people, you know, out of and you know, they came off out of incarceration or off, off, um, you know, um, public welfare and actually got real jobs in the green economy. Did this like, I'm kind of known for what I do. Okay. okay. And um, okay. started this, like, this, you know, created like, local economic developments to support my own community. It's like, I am not like this, this guy, this white guy coming from, from outside the neighborhood. However, there's still a perception sometimes that, that like, you know, people that I'm still different, right? But that's, that's the thing. It's just like, I have to be mindful of the fact that it took a long time for folks to even, you know, get to the point where it's like, you know, they discount themselves. So why would I think it's, it's going to take like overnight? They're all going to go like, Oh, it's okay. You know, I get you. But the, but the point is that there was like, so the other night was really kind of cool. There were folks, um, we had a cipher event there and it was like all these little, little, my boys for the hood that I see in the neighborhood who have never come into the coffee shop because it's just sort of like, it's a little intimidating because it's like, we see those downtown, but we, we don't see them in our hood. And it was just like, but I took it as such a tremendous step that there they all were. And just like, okay, like we see you. And I know they saw us before, but it just takes a little time. And I feel like, you know what? I got the time and I want to be, but that's the difference I think between the folks like me who are drew in development in our own communities and others who are just sort of like, well, they didn't do it you know, quick enough. So I'm not going to believe in them. And, but, <clears throat> but for those of us who are really trying, you know, from the inside out to revitalize and support our own communities, it's like, you know, I think we we're in it for the long game and know that, sooner rather than than later this it's going to 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 pay off i mean in 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 terms of folks seeing the value of themselves as they support their own communities does that make sense totally sense i i think that our communities need more people like yourself but even more we need more people to support people like yourself yes that's, amen that's yep. what we that's what yep. we fall short is yeah. the support system we have a strong support system and all these things that we are trying to accomplish can get accomplished with ease, right. and I and I see that. So, and I know it's an uphill battle for mm-hmm. you being mm-hmm. one of the few people that that does things like that in your community, and yes. there are plenty of people that do it, but not plenty enough. No. You know what I mean? But, and the support's real, I mean, or the lack of support is is definitely real. And this is why we kind of have this podcast to highlight people like you, so that there are people out there who want to give support to people like yourself mm-hmm. that don't even know your story, but once they hear how powerful you are and right. the thing you are now, they get to see you on the screen and look you up and maybe try to get in contact with you to help support all your endeavors and things like that. I'm 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 excited that I got a chance to sit down and hear everything you you said. Like usually we have 
I have more conversation in me when I deal with some uh, guests because, you know, a lot of people get on here and they're scared to kind of articulate themselves. But it seems that you have no problem with doing that. And that was <laughs> very, very, very dope to me to see how dope that you speak, how dope you articulate yourself. Beautiful black woman in power and helping the community. I think you need a round of applause. Aww. That's it. What is support? Like we want to always support the people we bring on. What does support look like for you? What do you like? How do we support you? How do the people who are listening? How can they support you? Social it's medias, about mm -hmm. whatever you whatever yes. it is. Well, I give you my the handles. It's at Majora Carter. Mm -hmm. um, the, our boogie at the at Boogie Down Grind is a, is something is a our locally owned urban hip hop themed coffee shop that we do hope to franchise. Mm -hmm. um, our approach to real estate development is all about supporting um, local communities to actually help reinvest in themselves, you know, through economic diversity in those communities and in terms of mixed income housing and mixed use diverse, mixed, mixed income and mixed use, um, different types of commercial, light industrial, and really promoting that type of development and finding the, the right folks who will be willing to build that capital stack, you know, with us to make it happen, not just in New York, but all over the country. Um, you know, we're working on a project in Indianapolis right now, 150 units, you know, of mixed income housing, including home ownership and, you know, a 200 job, you know, um, like food hear. manufacturing, <laughs> you know, that's what we're, that's the kind of stuff that we need to do. And I think also, you know, the piece around, you know, supporting local businesses and really thinking about you know, taking advantage of the this um you know in crowdfunding investment because you could do it in real estate I was development ask you, too. Are you still yep. crowdfunding? Yes, because what we're for for our rail station in particular, um, what we're we're getting the final um you know numbers for the for the build out, but it's going to be close to about two million dollars. You know, to actually do that thing like the way it needs to be done. Crowdfunding. So with crowdfunding, mm -hmm. with this uh property that I'm looking at in Harlem. Would you be willing to help me or teach me how to set up the crowdfunding? Because I would love the, for the neighborhood to get involved would, because it's the mm. property is not about me trying to make apartments. It's about me turning into a communal place mm -hmm. where I can have a quarantine studios headquarters that can make the money we need to actually pay the bills. And right. through that, I can have programs to teach the kids about digital stuff, mm -hmm. NFTs and music and studios and all these things that I'm involved in, even down to the athletics and the gyms that we have. But this is what I really want to buy that property for. I was telling somebody the other day I would like to. It was funny, a couple of weeks ago, I was saying I want to get a building in Harlem for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I'm going to lease it or just want to let the lease run out, but I want to be here and let people be able to do business with me, let people be able to see me in, right. in a different light. And a couple of days ago, Somebody came like yo, I, I want to buy this building in Harlem at such and such price, and I almost fainted. Like wow, like like blessings on blessings. So Take it. That's where I'm at with it. So once mm -hmm. I get a little bit more information, you yeah. will be getting a call for me. So, but you just said something is really just awesome, you know? Because here you, I can't remember the exact term that you used, but it was like pretty clear. You want people to do business with you, and you're creating businesses as a part of this development that would then essentially subsidize like all of the quote unquote community stuff you want to do. And that is a just a brilliant way. I mean, it's basically like, it's brilliant because that's the kind of stuff I do too. <laughs> but, um, you know, but that's the whole point. You, you really do need those kind of commercial structures that can pay to support like the kind of things that you want to see happening in your community. Because the bottom line is, 
it is going to be us doing this kind of stuff, you know, it, it, as developers, you know, as, as, as you're a developer. I mean, that's, you just need to embrace that, you know, you're a developer with, <laughs> and you got credit too. So let's just go there. Um, but that whole idea is just, if we just imagine, I mean, literally just like kind of close our eyes and imagine what it would be like if all over our country, that was just sort of like the MO, if there were, you know, enough folks supporting local developers, because it's like being developers, not it's not any it rocket science. It just sounds so scary because you think of like the Wall Street developer, right? You think they just don't look like us. You think you need a hundred million dollars to buy a building, and you're like, there's, you know, another thing that I'm doing. I don't even think I mentioned it, but um, I'm going to be a producer and a host for a new media platform called Ground Truth, and and it's through um, this amazing um, organization called Groundswell, and they've been working on building community power through the solar industry, like literally creating um, solar installations or getting uh, solar energy to into the hands of low and moderate income folks, so that they can actually you know, pay their bills, and, but but pay less for it. And, and also and sell do, back the surplus. Exactly. And do really surplus. good stuff. It's amazing. <laughs> and um, so, but there's like stories all over this country of people, you know, that look just like us that are doing amazing work in supporting, you know, communities that look just like ours, doing really innovative stuff in technology and energy mm-hmm. and community development. And, and so those are stories I want to tell. And I would love to tell your story as you're oh. building, no, sir, I'm not, I ain't joking <laughs> at now. all. I know he's looking, oh, <laughs> so cute. Um, right. No, but seriously, like what you just described, I think is the kind of thing that, you know, folks don't, don't, wouldn't necessarily like think would, would happen. It's just like, but you, I think you intrinsically, I understand exactly you know, how to build community. Yeah. I, I, de- I mean, well, building communities is always something mm-hmm. I've, I've been in love with. Um, and just the kids and the people coming up. Um, but Harlem, I mean, Harlem's been everything to me coming up. This has been my mm-hmm. playground. It's, it's, just, it's just something about it. And as I look at Harlem now, a lot of the elements that were there when we were younger are not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, we had a lot of community room. There was mm-hmm. a lot of basketball. It was a lot of community things going on in Harlem at that time. I'm not saying it wasn't a bad place, but I'm saying it was things that we as kids look forward to doing mm-hmm. that kept us out of the trouble that was out there. And yes. those were the, the community rooms or those were the time you went to Central Park Pool or those were the basketball tournaments and things like that. And I, I, I want to continue to create those type of environments for the kids that we have places still left in Harlem that the kids mm. can't wait to go to no mm-hmm. matter mm-hmm. what they doing in life. Yes. If they hustle in the street or they a straight A student, it was just something about that community room that everybody met in and had the time of their life. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of that anymore inside of our communities. Mm. No, you're right. I mean, they're, they're, a lot of those places, have their funding pulled, you know, and it gets to a point where it's like, you know, if, they didn't, if they're not funded, then what's the, what's the, you know, it's always about the return. It's like, what's the incentive to keep this going, you know? And, you know, we can <laughs> broaden the idea of what a community center is. Because, you know, it's from, honestly, from what, again, some of the research that we did, there was no real, um, you know, when we asked people what were they aspiring to, because there there wasn't that memory of community centers being like this, like, real thing in the neighborhood. You know, nobody ever said community center. You just didn't. But 
to your point, what people are needing and craving are those kinds of levels of interaction and togetherness. So because community is, it's not, it's not just a place, it's an activity. Mm -hmm. And what were they doing at those community centers that made them feel like, you know, I mean, you're going right down the line. I mean, we didn't have nothing that they have now. Mm-hmm. So community centers will look way different right, exactly. now I mean, than what we would think we'd be able to. It's but so a lot much. of them don't. But like, that's the thing. They don't look all that great. What? Like um, community, the kind of community centers that I, that actually do exist in, in many of the communities are just not the kind of things that make because people feel cool. They don't have anything that it's, it's not it's not like it was. I don't know. I don't know what's the differences or how do we do it, but I mm-hmm. just know this is something I want to be involved in because mm-hmm. I do know that that feeling of being a part of something when yeah. I got out of school yeah. to get there is missing right. inside of our community. Exactly. And whatever that next level of what our community centers need to be, or if we need to change the terminology of community centers to something more inviting mm-hmm. for these kids to feel like they're yep. involved or something different. But there's a whole new dialogue of what kids are into but that yeah. doesn't mean they don't want to be a, a part of something that oh no they do they, they do desperately I absolutely think that these computers and even business and all these things that we're talking about kids are way quicker to learn nowadays than we were mm. yeah. back then because Especially they have interested. so much access Especially. like they could do this if they don't want to do it because it's end up making them some money if you you understand what i'm saying mm-hmm. they know how to use these computers like the back of their hand like it's nothing to them to me, it's difficult as hell for you to tell me something to get on a computer right now. I could tell my son to do it like that. But what they're craving is, you know, even if they've got the capacity to, like, design a program that, you know, somebody's going to buy, you know, but the point is, is that they're craving that kind of, like, human interaction. interaction. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, that what we're, and yeah, guidance. And that's why it's so important for us to literally maintain opportunities for people to see themselves be successful mm-hmm. in their own communities. Mm-hmm. So seeing you, you could you could teach them how to play tic tac toe. It don't. It honestly does not matter. As long as it was the interaction, exactly. Is what, that's the they're going to leave with. Mm-hmm. The interaction yep. is everything. And then if you teach because, them like how to not have credit and credit, have no, credit, but you that's know, even better. But what happens is <laughs> it goes back to the very first question, right? Because you you you're showing them your t- um, that you value them. Mm-hmm. They're worth enough to be taught. They're worth enough to invest in. Yes. Whether it's through the music or just having a physical space, mm-hmm. right? I did all of this so that you could have a place, right? And so right there, you're already telling them, I find you valuable. Yes. And so once they feel valuable, yep. they start to see the value in other things totally. and then that trickles out, right? So we can end yep. right where we started, right? Yep. And that's sort it. of like what we want to do, Amen. right? And y'all will follow up. I'm sure he's going to follow up. I'm going to follow up because I love Harlem. And so I want to support all things Harlem. I'm curious in the process. Yeah, This has been dope. This has been, this, this probably would have been, probably is my favorite episode thus far that I've got to sit down and chop it up with someone as dope as you. But let's keep it pushing. Yeah. This has been great. It's been a great day on Mining Diamonds. Majora Carter, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Give her her diamonds. Yes. Give out diamonds give her on the show. Yes. Awesome. Not, not flowers, yes. but pretty soon we'd be probably be able to give out some real diamonds. Right oh, now, yeah. the budget <laughs> We're still mining. We're, We're still mining. Mine. Exactly. We're still mining. We're still mining. <laughs> yes. Right. So stay Appreciate tuned, right? Keep keep listening. Keep yes. watching. We'll Check us out. Next time Thank on Mining Diamonds. That, that went too fast, man. Yeah, it did. <laughs>